What a wonderful song. It's a privilege to be able to sing together that song and to ponder those words together as we sing them and uh, to desire God's plan for us, no matter what that would be. Let's take our Bibles this afternoon and turn to Psalm 37, the 37th Psalm in your Bibles. Psalm 37. In the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible to please him. Uh, Some years ago, uh, we did a study through Hebrews chapter 11. I think it was on Wednesday nights. And I defined faith, and there would be more than one way to define it. But uh, I suppose many men have made feeble attempts to define it. But the way I defined it was faith is taking God at his word. Faith is taking God at his word. Um, so that's the acceptance of what God has said to be true, but also the implementation of what he has said into our daily lives. Faith is taking God at his word. It's really impossible to please God then without taking him at his word, believing what he says and then doing that. Okay. Doing that. Um, and so my question to you as we begin this year is, uh, are you, uh, today where you're at? Already this year's underway. You know, we don't really get to start a new year. We do. It's a new calendar year, but we still get to bring along some of the things from last year, you know. Uh, So it's not completely, it's not like we started completely clean. Everything's washed away. But are you trusting the Lord is my question. Are you trusting God? If it's impossible to please God without trusting him, without faith, without taking him at his word, then if we're not trusting him, then we're actually displeasing him. And I think most of us here this afternoon would say, Seth, I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. God is my father. Jesus is my savior. His spirit lives inside of me. I want to please him. But the truth is, all of us at times don't please him. And when we don't, whenever we don't please God, it's because we're not taking him at his word. We're not trusting him. Uh, Proverbs chapter three says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, all thine heart. Uh, Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Now, as your pastor this year in 2020, uh, sounds a little odd to say that, um, I want God to be directing your paths. I think that'd be a wonderful year. If we come to the end of this year, and there are some husbands in this room who can say, you know what, 2020 was a year where God really directed my steps as a husband, as a dad, as a leader in my home. And you know what? I He directed my steps, and I followed him. He directed our steps. He directed our family. He directed our marriage. Wouldn't that be wonderful for us as a church to be able to say, this was a year when we look back, I don't know what all is going to take place, and things are going to happen in different individuals' lives and families, and our church family as a whole, jobs and there are all kinds of, we don't, there's a lot we don't know, but it'd be great if we got to the end of 2020. We could look back and say, wow, Lord, thank you for directing our steps. Thank you for directing our steps. Well, how do we get there? We get there by trusting in the Lord. We get there by relying on him, leaning on him, looking to him, believing what he says, taking him at his word. Faith is the word. Um, the truth is about life is life is not always simple. Uh, there's a man by the name of Henry Barry who wrote a poem, He Leadeth Me. 
Is it always easy to follow God, by the way, where he leads? Are his ways always easy? Henry learned this. He wrote this. He said, in green pastures, not always. Sometimes he who knowest best in kindness leadeth me in weary ways. Did you hear how he wrote that? I like that. He says that God in kindness sometimes leads us in weary ways. Do you believe that God's kind when he leads us in weary and hard ways? He understood it this way. He said, he leads me in weary ways where heavy shadows be. Out of the sunshine, warm and soft and bright. Out of the sunshine into darkest night. I oft would faint with sorrows and affright. Only for this, I know he holds my hand. So, whether led in green or desert land, I trust. Although I may not understand, besides still waters, no, not always so. Oft times the heavy tempests round me blow, and o'er my soul the waves and billows go. When the storms beat loudest, and I cry aloud for help, the master standeth by and whispers to my soul, Lo, it is I. Above the tempest wild I hear him say, Beyond this darkness lies the perfect day, and every path of thine I lead the way. So whether on the hilltops high and fair I dwell, or in the sunless valleys where the shadows lie, what matter? He is there. And more than this, where'er the pathway lead, he gives to me no helpless, broken reed, but his own hand sufficient for my need. You know that our own understanding is a helpless, broken reed. No, that's what he was referring to, I think. And Proverbs 3 says, don't lean on your own understanding. Your understanding and my understanding is a helpless, broken reed. It's very, uh, uh, you cannot depend upon it. Don't depend upon it. Trust in the Lord. And that's the message here this evening or this afternoon. Look at Psalm 37. And I want to begin reading in verse 1. I'm going to read down through verse number 7. He says this, fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. And I'm going to stop there. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us, I pray, this afternoon. Um, I pray that you'd move in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. I pray that our minds would be sharp, in tune with your word. Lord, I pray that uh, this passage will characterize us throughout this year as a people who are trusting in you. Lord, I pray that we would please you as we do. I know we will. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I ask you the question, are you trusting in God? We know that we ought to trust in God. We know that trusting in God pleases God. Most of us all here would say, yes, I'm, I'm trusting in the Lord. I think I am. Um, we've all at times not trusted in him. Uh, but maybe we should take a test, right? Christmas break is over, right? 
Leah, you're all excited. You want to test. I can just tell. Um, going back to school. So uh, Michael McGowan is so excited. He can barely hold himself still back there. So excited about going back to school. So well, let's start with a little test here tonight or this afternoon. Uh, and the, the question is this. Are you, are you trusting God? And if you are, how do you know that you are? And how do you know if you're not? What if I'm not? Well, if I'm, I could say that I'm, I'm trusting God, but if I'm not, but I think I am, I'm not pleasing God. So how do I know if I am? That's the question. How, do, how can I know if I'm trusting God? And the passage, I think, tells us in particular three particular ways that we can know if we're trusting God or not. Okay. Um, the first sign in the life of a person who's trusting God is that they do what they know they ought to do. Okay. That's number one. Uh, are you trusting God? Well, let me, I would ask you this then. Are you doing what you know is right? Are you doing what you know you ought to do? Look at verse 1 again. He says, fret not thyself because of evildoers. Apparently there are some bad things going on. Evildoers. Has your mom ever called you an evildoer? <clears throat> no, that's probably good. She's very gracious. Have you ever been an evildoer as a young person, as a child? Yes. Okay. Have you ever done evil, done the wrong things? Yes. Um, now, these evildoers were worse than I think than just disobedient children. Um, they were grown ups and they were doing evil. And he says, the psalmist David says, don't be frustrated. Don't be vexed. Don't be upset because of people who are doing evil. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. Um, don't wish you were like the people who are sinning. Sometimes in our world today, people do wrong things because they're unsaved, but they look cool doing it. Or And so sometimes believers who should be trusting in God, sometimes we find ourselves kind of looking over there thinking, wow, it looks like they're having a lot of fun. I wish I could have fun like they have fun. Now, that's not wisdom speaking. That would be our flesh. And the psalmist says in the inspiration of the Spirit of God, don't be fretting, don't be worrying because people do bad things. Some of you watch Fox News, right? You know, and and they, they I'm, I don't know what to say about Fox News, but I'll say this. Uh, if you watch it a lot, you could find yourself worrying a lot. Okay. I'm not saying be uninformed and put your head in the sand and don't know anything either. But if that's all you feed on, you will find yourself continually worrying and being angry with evildoers. OK, and that could, there's a lot of things we could listen to. So it's not just Fox News. But so don't fret and don't be envious. So don't worry because of what other people are doing that is sinful. But don't also either uh, wish don't be jealous of the people who are doing wrong things because you want to be like them. Verse 2, he goes on, why shouldn't we be fretting or envious? Because they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Listen, sin has consequences. And the people who sin, including us, there are consequences. And he says about these evildoers in verse 1 and the workers of iniquity in verse 1 that they're going to soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. In other words, don't let your life be consumed with worrying about what evildoers are doing because God has it under control. He's going to take care of it. 
And don't be jealous about what they're doing and seemingly getting away with because their day is coming. And and we should pray for them and reach out to them and be concerned about their souls because a terrible day of judgment is coming. Don't want to be like them. So what should we be doing if we shouldn't be doing those things in verse 1? Well, look at verse 3. He says, trust in the Lord and do good. And I submit to you that a person who trusts in God does good. What 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 does that mean? That seems pretty simple. Do good. Uh, Well, doing good is not worrying about the evildoers in verse 1. Doing good is not being envious of the iniquity, those who are doing iniquity in verse 1, wanting to be like them. Doing good is doing what you know is right. Sometimes um, we like to think that we want to do some wonderful thing. We want God to use us in wonderful ways. We want to have an influence. You know, we want to make a difference in the world. And we would if we would just do what we know is right. Just start there. A person who trusts God is a person who does good. I might have told you this before, but um, years ago, I can remember traveling, and uh, I was in a Christian school, and Cindy and I had a display table set up, and I had just preached in chapel, and apparently uh, an evangelist had been through the chapel to speak to the students some weeks earlier, and one of the seniors was talking to me about where she wanted to go to college or what she wanted to do with her life, and she had some big decisions ahead of her, what was she going to do, what was she going to study, and, uh, and as she was talking to me, she was getting, she, you know, she was one of those young ladies who was just really chatty, you know. I don't know if there's any of you like that here, like here that are really chatty. I'm not looking at anybody in particular. But, you know, just really chatty, you know, just full of life and bubbly and just couldn't get the words out fast enough. Anyway, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. So anyway, so uh, she's, she's talking about what she wants to do with her life and uh, where she's going to go to college. She's like, I don't know, I want to go to this college, but my parents have talked about this one and I've liked this one too. And I've been to that one and that one's great too. And I... And then what are we going to study, you know, Seth? And Mr. Ferguson, she called me, and on and on. This is going on and on, and she's going on and on. And anyway, so uh, all these decisions, what she's going to be. And, of course, if she goes there, she has this boy she likes, but she doesn't want to follow him. And, and all this stuff is going on. And one of her teachers passed by and apparently was a, 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 had an influence and was influential in her life. And he said to her, as he passed by, he said, just brush your teeth. And I thought that was kind of funny. And uh, and I thought, you know, he's a Christian school teacher. You know, he's close to losing his mind anyway. He just spent a rough life for him. Uh, and I don't know, he hasn't eaten lunch, whatever. And uh, and she then explained that an evangelist had come through some weeks earlier. He had preached a message about just brushing your teeth. I don't know what the Bible verse was, but it was about brushing your teeth. But the point was this. Don't get so overwhelmed with all the things in life you don't know about. The contingencies, if I go here, if I do that, should I buy this? Should I sell this? What am I going to do if that happens? And just brush your teeth. How many children here brush your teeth? Brush your teeth? Okay, yeah, your hands should be up. All right, good. How many adults brush their teeth? All right, I wish I could brush my teeth right now. I ate a sandwich. (laughs) Not in front of you, Drew, just I wish I could have. Before I preach. So here's the thing, though. Brushing your teeth is something very basic. No one has ever come up to you and said to you, wow, 
You did a great job brushing your teeth. Like, I'm so impressed. You're a good teeth brusher. No one has ever said that to you, have they? I don't think so. But you know, brushing your teeth is very basic. It's something you ought to do every day, multiple times a day. It's important to do. Do it. It's simple. Do it. Brush your teeth. And here's what I'm saying to you. When he says do good, someone who trusts the Lord, do good. <clears throat> do what you know is right. Now, multiple times, even this week coming, throughout this year, you're, you and I are going to be put in situations and presented with decisions where there's all kinds of things we could take into, into consideration. But I'm going to challenge you with a simple thought. Just do what you know to be right. And here's the wonderful thing about that simple truth. When you and I do good, something simple, nobody else notices Nobody compliments you for it. No one says, wow, that was an incredible solo. No one's that impressed. Nobody even knows it happens. Know this. God knows that you're doing right. And it's actually an act of faith. And it pleases God. Trust the Lord and do good. Okay, do good. Um, it's interesting. The Bible says that there's none that doeth good, no, not one. That would be an unsaved person. The Bible also tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. It's a part of the fruit of the Spirit. So when you and I choose to do what we know is right, it actually is the Holy Spirit of God leading us and you and I saying yes to the Spirit of Christ in that situation, in our lives, and whether anybody else sees it or not, it is the glory and praise of God. It is an act of faith. Okay? Faith that pleases God. Okay, so do good. Number two, number two, I want to notice, or I should, I should point this out too. Look at verse three, the latter part. He says this, and so shalt thou be, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. What's he saying there is the person who trusts the Lord and does good is going to be in a place of blessing. You're saying yes to the Holy Spirit, and you're actually in a place of blessing. You're in a position, a place that God can bless you. He can bless me. Verily thou shalt be fed. Uh, in the same pat, in the same Psalm, in Psalm 37, look over to verse 25. David makes a uh, wonderful statement in verse 25. He says this, I have been young, David says, and now I'm old. What's he saying? I've lived a long life. I've seen a lot of things. But notice what he says. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. And again, the simple truth in verse number three is the person who does good is in a place that God can bless them. It would be better for us to do what we know is right, even to what seems to be our own detriment, and have God's blessing than to try to protect ourselves and go outside of the boundaries of what we know to be good, but do what we think is pragmatic, or might help us out, make us feel better, but not be in a place where God can bless us. Trust the Lord and do good. The sign of a person who's trusting God is that they do good. All right, I've, I've talked about that enough. Let's move on to the second part of the test. So are you trusting God? Well, you are if you're doing what you know is right. Number two, you're trusting God if you're delighting in God. Delighting in God. Look at verse number four. He says, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now, some of us, when we read that verse, all we hear is, 
and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Um, I asked somebody this morning, did you get everything for Christmas that your heart desired? And they just kind of looked at me. I don't know if you got everything for Christmas your heart desired. What are the desires of your heart? What are some things that you desire? What do you long for? Uh, what do you want? Did you, did you get anything for Christmas you didn't desire? Did you get family jammies? They're still in the package, by the way. Still in the package. But there is hope that I'll wear them at some point. But what is it that you desire? What do you want? What, would, what do you think? What are the desires of your heart? Um, well, it's interesting. Verse 4 is a conditional promise. He says, delight thyself in the Lord. In other words, if you will delight yourself in the Lord, God will give you the desires of your heart. So the promise is there. God will give a person the desires of their heart if that person is delighting in God. So my question is, well, I know I've got some desires. The question is, how do I delight in God? What does it mean for me to delight in the Lord? And again, we, we want to we want to, uh, we have to answer the question, well, well, delight, well, what is that word? Well, the word delight means to be uh, pliable or soft. But the word delight has the idea of to rejoice or to find one's happiness in God. That's an interesting thing. What do you find your happiness in? And for some of us, we think about that, to find my happiness in God. Wow, that seems to, that, I do Whatever that means, that seems like it's going to take me in the opposite direction of my desires. Wait a minute, Pastor Ferguson, this whole verse is about my desires. No, this whole verse is about you delighting in God and trusting in God. And then what happens is when you and I trust in God, we, we rest in him. We trust him with our lives, with the situations. Um, what happens when we trust him, we delight in him. He actually supernaturally changes the desires of our hearts. And they're absolutely in line with his desires. And when that happens, God gives us the desires of our hearts. Why? Because they are one with his desires. Um, do you think, who do you think knows best for your life? You or God? You, have you ever felt like you knew better than God? Did you ever feel like he was getting it wrong? Have you ever felt like that? I have. You're all frozen. You're like, are you trying to trick me? You're setting me up. I'm not trying to trick you. Have you ever felt like you knew better? Like you'd be happier if these things were different. Have you ever felt like that? I have. You know, that's that's the old man. That's the flesh. That's thinking in a, in a way of unbelief. I don't trust God. I trust me. I know what I want. I know who I am. I know what would make me happy. I know what I really desire. Um, but that's not faith. That's, that's unbelief. People actually die and go to hell because of the sin of unbelief. You know that. It's a very wicked sin. But it's the very same sin that sometimes we find in our own lives as we go through life as believers when we choose not to trust God. He has saved us. We could trust him for that, for the salvation of our souls. We could trust him for all these things. He's done so much for us. But when it comes to this situation, he's just mishandling it. I want to tell you, he never mishandles anything. 
He always does what is best. He always does what is right. He always does what is best for his name and for our good. And we can trust him. So let's talk about this idea of delighting. Okay, the word delight has is a couple ideas to the word delight. I mentioned to be soft or pliable. Um, something soft and pliable. Uh, Play-Doh, soft and pliable. Drew, do you ever play with Play-Doh? In Florida? Yeah. Did Grandma give it to you? All right. Thank you. Thank you. We bought it. All right. Well, uh, I like playing with Play-Doh too, Drew. Um, When it's in the can, you got to keep the cap on when you're not playing with it. If you keep the cap on, it'll stay soft and pliable, like the word delight. That's what the word delight means, soft and pliable. Interesting how words can have all these meanings. And Play-Doh is a lot of fun. Um, I'm not the best at it. I can make uh, those wiener dogs, you know. I can make them really long, and then the little legs, they kind of fall over, sag in the middle. Um, But I can do that. I make a mean uh, Play-Doh hamburger or uh, hamburger patty. Uh, that's hard, you know. Uh, pancakes. I'm not really good with Play-Doh. Um, but I know this. When, when you leave the lid off the Play-Doh, Drew, don't do it. When you leave the lid off the Play-Doh, your Play-Doh will all get hard. And when it gets hard, you can't make anything out of it. It's terrible. So remember the lid. Always on all the time unless you're playing with it. Um, all right. We're on the same page. So here's the thing about Play-Doh. Um, In all my years of playing with Play-Doh, the Play-Doh that I've played with, as long as it's soft and pliable, always does what I want it to do. Right? I'm in charge. The Play-Doh has never been in charge. The Play-Doh, none of the Play-Doh I've ever played with, Shailen, has ever been like, listen here, Seth, I am not doing what you want me to do. The Play-Doh is soft. It's pliable, right? It just does what I want it to do. Well, that's what the word delight means, to be soft and pliable. Delight thyself also in the Lord. David is saying to you and me, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he's saying, I want you to be, I want you to trust God. I want you to be like the Play-Doh. I want you to be soft and pliable. I want you to let God mold you and shape you. And you know what? Some of us are kind of like a piece of Play-Doh that's the lid was left off of. We're kind of hard and crusty. And it not pliable, not easily shaped. And so if we're going to be soft and pliable, we need to be positive, receptive, maybe would be a better word, to what God says in his word. This is how he shapes us. This is how he molds us. His words mold us and shape us. Um, the psalmist wrote, uh, Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Are you that kind of a man? Are you that kind of a man that you you spend time in God's word and you find yourself thinking about it? You find yourself as a man growing in the word of God, not just on, on uh, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoons like today or Wednesday nights, but on your own, taking what you're learning from the word of God and you find yourself reading it and, and looking up words to define them and pondering, and not just not just resting on our laurels, so to speak, of what we have been taught for all of our lives in the past, you know, without thinking about God's word anymore today, but I mean today and tomorrow 
and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. You say, well, Seth, I'm not a pastor. Uh, you don't have to be a pastor to, to know God's word and to study it and to learn to love it and to hope in it and to find it influencing how you pray and how you do business and how you interact with other people and how you train up your kids and how you love your wife. You know, you don't have to be a pastor for those things. The word of God is not just for pastors. It's for all of us. And so if I'm going to be soft and pliable, I need to be receptive to what God is saying in his word. But some of us are not pliable because we don't know what his word says. We don't take time for it. If I'm going to be pliable like Plato in the hands of God, if I'm going to trust him and be delighting in him, uh, I also need to be receptive to what he's doing in my life. You know, God just doesn't speak to us by his word. He also is actively working in our lives to accomplish his will in, in us. And you know what? There are times in my life where I have completely disagreed with him, with what he's doing. Now, I don't, I, I don't know that I've said that to him, but I've acted that way. And you have too. Sometimes he tells us what to do in his word and his Holy Spirit within us leads us in the way we ought to go. And we don't do what the Spirit of God is leading us to do because we completely disagree with what he's telling us to do. We disagree with God. We agree with our flesh in that moment. It'd be better for me to do what I want to do than to do what you want me to do. And you know why? It's the sin of unbelief. It's me not trusting in him. You see, when I trust in God, I delight in him. I'm soft. I'm pliable. It's, it's that him, have thine own way, Lord. Thou art the potter and I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will, after thy way. No, while I am yielded, waiting and still. Am I... Am I soft and am I pliable? I, I, as your pastor, I'm praying for you that you will delight in the Lord this year. Do what you know to do. Do good. And then delight in him. Delight. That's just not a big cheesy smile. Hey, uh, what, what's wrong with you? Did you go to the dentist and he got the needle in the wrong spot? No. No, I'm just trying to delight. Just got this big smile on my face. Just trying to delight. I'm not against smiling. Okay, don't get me wrong. But you know what? Delighting in God is more than a cheesy smile. It's a very serious thing. It's me saying, Lord, I'm going to be positive about what you're saying to me in your word. When you, what you says disagree, when, when what you say to me disagrees with what I feel, I'm going to be soft and pliable. I'm going to let you mold me, conform me into the image of Christ. And Lord, what you're doing in my life, I'm going to be soft and pliable Lord, I'm willing to go through whatever it is you have for me to go through because I trust you and I know you know what is best and, which, and that you want what is best for me. You know, to be pliable is to surrender to him. Surrendering has the idea of to give up. You know, if you have two armies and they're fighting one another, at some point someone says, listen, this isn't going our way. We're going to surrender, Right? They raise the white flag of surrender and they give up to the other, their enemy. Okay. 
That's surrendered. Surrender means to give up. To submit means to give in. Some of us have been fighting the Lord. We need to surrender. We need to give up to him. We need to surrender to him. And some of us need to go one step further beyond that. We need to submit to him. Almost that picture might be to get on our knee and humbly before him and say, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? Who is it that you want me to be? What do you want to accomplish in my life? I want to be pliable. I want to give in to what you have for me to, to, to do. Look at verse number four, the latter part, as we get near the end. He says, if you'll delight yourself in the Lord, it says, he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. And this is the miracle that happens. When we are pliable, when we're receptive to what God is saying and what he's doing in our lives, when we're pliable and we're soft, we're surrendered, we're submitted to what he wants, what takes place inside of us as we trust God is a miracle. And the miracle is this. He takes a believer whose desires used to be contrary to God, whose taste buds uh, enjoyed these, the things of this world. I mean, ungodly things. I don't mean good things, but ungodly things, wicked things. And God actually changes your heart and mind so that I don't, my desires aren't for the world anymore. They're actually for godly things. God's way. And then the verse says, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. I think there's an illustration for this a man by the name of Adniram, Adniram Judson. You've heard of him. He was a missionary. He was born in the 1700s. That's a long time ago. But in 1803 in Malden, Massachusetts, he was known as a brilliant man, a brilliant teenager he would have been. At that time, he was ambitious. He was only 15. And, um, and he makes this statement. He made this, and I'll quote him. He said, I will be an orator and, I, and I'll sway thousands by my eloquence or I'll be a poet and the world shall be entranced by the beauty of my lines. Yet again, he wrote, I will be a statesman and the nation shall be guided by my wisdom. And in Adoniram's view, as a 15 year old young man, there was only one obstacle that could keep him from fulfilling his own desires. And that was the obstacle was this. The obstacle in Adoniram Judson's mind that would keep him from happiness, was trying to please God. But in his mind, that he narrowed it down to that. The only thing that will keep me from happiness is if I have to please God. And so trying to please God and himself, he couldn't do both and he knew that. And so with this kind of thinking, he began to attend Brown University. Here is 1803, he's 15, attending Brown University. I was not at Brown University at the age of 15. And while Adoniram Justin was there at Brown University as a 15-year-old, trying to fulfill his dreams, he met and became good friends with an atheist by the name of Jacob Ames. And Adoniram and Jacob, his friend, his atheist friend, wholly agreed that the only thing worth living for was their own dreams and their own ambitions. And upon graduating, when he was 19 from Brown University, Adoniram told his heartbroken parents of his rejection of God, his rejection of God's desires for him. 
And for about one year, Adoniram Judson traveled and lived his life for himself. One night he found a hotel to stay the night. The manager apologized. He said he only had one room in the hotel that was open. And it was a room right next door to a man who was dying. And he couldn't guarantee Adoniram a good night's sleep, but Adoniram was tired. Horses were the way of travel in those days. He said, I'll take the room. And so he got in the room and he laid there and he was awake and he was awake and he was awake as the night wore on. And the dying man next door groaning and moaning and yelling and shouting throughout the night. Adoniram got very, very little sleep until finally the moaning stopped. Adoniram slept a little bit that morning, woke up the next day, and uh, he couldn't help wondering about the man who was dying next door, how he was doing. And Adoniram Judson couldn't help, if you read the story, couldn't help but wondering um, about that man's soul. Was the man saved? Now, this was Adoniram Judson. He'd been raised... Christianity, but he himself was not following the Lord at that time in his life. He couldn't help but wondering about the man's salvation. In the book I read about Adoniram Judson, the author points out uh, or draws the attention uh, to Adoniram made the comment later that he could remember worrying about what his atheistic friend Jacob Ames would have thought of him worrying about this man's soul. Like, why would that be important? So that morning he got up and as he was getting ready to leave and check out, the landlord told him that the young man next door had died. A brilliant young man from Brown University by the name of Jacob Ames. Adoniram was shocked. And within three hours, he came to the realization that his desires, his goals, that his ambitions were meaningless and worthless outside of God. He turned his horse around, he headed for home, choosing to do what God wanted for him rather than what he desired for himself. And if you know anything about Adoniram Judson, God used Adoniram Judson to translate the Bible into the Burmese language. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people would have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because they heard the word of God. Because there was a young man who was willing to delight in the Lord be soft and pliable and not resist him. Romans 12 and verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present yourselves, your lives, your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So to trust in God means that I'm going to do what I know is right. And when I'm not doing that, I'm not trusting in God. To trust in God means I'm going to delight in him. I'm going to be soft. I'm going to be pliable. I'm going to be surrendered and submitted to God. Have your own way, Lord. Whatever you say, whatever you do in my life, I'm going to rejoice in you. I'm going to delight in you. And then to trust in the Lord, finally, look at verse number five and six. Has the idea of, Casting the burden upon the Lord. Okay. Look at verse number five. He says, commit thy way into the Lord. And a person who's trusting God commits his way unto the Lord. Trust also in him. There it says it again. And he shall bring it to pass. He will do it. Is the point. 
You say, well, Pastor Ferguson, I'm struggling so much to trust God because I'm not sure that my life is going to work out if the details of this situation are going to work out the way I think they should. Aha! Are you willing to trust him in order that the details of your life will work out not as you think that it, they, those details should work out, but in the way that God thinks that those details should work out? That's the, that's the rub. Am I willing to trust him? Look at verse number six. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light. And thy judgment, your discernment, your decision making as the noonday. You're going to grow through this. Rest. And it has the idea of to be silent. <laughs> Rest in the Lord and wait to wait with hope to wait with anticipation that God is going to do the right things. Wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way. We're back to fretting again. Remember verse 1. Because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. I'm going to stop. I don't know what this year is going to bring, but I know this. Trust. In the Lord. There are going to be some great things that happen this year. There are going to be some wonderful blessings. Things that you and I can't plan for. There are going to be some challenges. You're going to, be, you're going to find yourself in situations where you have to make a decision. Do good. Do what you know. Brush your teeth. You say, but no one notices that. Brush your teeth. By the way, people who you don't brush your teeth, people do notice. They don't notice if you do, but they notice if you don't. Okay? Doing good is kind of like that. They don't notice if you do. They notice if you don't. And more important than people noticing, God knows. Do good. That's trusting the Lord. Delight in God. Be soft and pliable. All kinds of situations are going to happen. Have thine own way, Lord. You're the potter. I'm the clay. You mold me however you want. And pray. Commit your way unto the Lord. God, this is how my day looks. Or this is how I feel. This is where I'm at. I'm struggling so much. Lord, I'm going to give it over to you. I'm going to roll it over onto you. Because you will bring my righteousness as the sun comes up every morning. And judgment into my life. Discernment in my life. Just like the noonday comes every day. I can trust you. I want you to have your way. In my life, I'd encourage you this this afternoon before we go uh, to pray and say, God, help me to trust you with everything that comes across my path this year. Help me help this year to be a year where I where I grow closer to you in faith, in trusting you. Be a man of faith. Be a woman of faith. Be a young person of faith. Let's pray.